Well, good morning, saints. Happy Thanksgiving. To those of you who are joining us online, for those who are traveling uh, this weekend, our prayers are, are with you. We know that uh, the holidays can be a very difficult time for many as well, and so our hearts are with each of you. But if you'd like a good word study in Scripture, trace the word thanksgiving or thanks or gratitude. Because the scripture tells us that we should give thanks in all things. We should be a people of gratitude because we know we know him. Uh, so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to the book of 1 John. 1 John is towards the end of the New Testament. Written by, surprise, John. John the Apostle who wrote a gospel account that differs from this synoptic gospel. Synoptic means to see through the same lens, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John brings a fresh perspective that's very helpful to us non-Jews on the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he also penned three letters, three epistles uh, to the churches as well as the book of Revelation. So John, as we've noted, is an elderly Man, He is in solitude. He has been banished to Patmos. Uh, many of his apostles, if not all of them at this point, have been killed, martyred for their faith. John, wise, full of years, full of wisdom, full of experience, is now showing us what it means, what it looks like to walk with Christ and to live for him. He begins by telling us that God is light. God is light. There's a, he develops these contrasts between light and darkness, for example. And so when we become a Christian, when we are born again, we can expect to see the life of God in us. If I name the name of Christ... It is a reasonable expectation that the life and the characteristics of Christ are going to be seen in me and developed. At one and the same time, he states that, and then he also tells us that we need to grow. We need to grow in these virtues. Specifically, a love of righteousness and a love of for others. God is love, he'll say later on. So we should expect to see that we would love other people and we need to grow in that. And now John abruptly puts down his quill and he takes us on a little excursus because we need encouragement and here's why. John puts his finger right on the pulse. A Christian is one who lives righteously, who loves other people. And we need to grow in that, even when it's difficult. Because you might be asking yourself, or maybe asking him rhetorically, but do you know my spouse, my coworker, my friend, my neighbor? How am I supposed to love that person? That's intimidating. 
I'm not doing a good enough job with this. How can I ever fulfill what God is calling me to do? So John presses the pause button and he gives us good gospel encouragement. He gives us exactly what we need so that we can live a life of love and a life of righteousness. He knows that life can be difficult. He knows that it can be challenging to love those closest to us. So he takes the time to give us what you need. Now I want to make one very important statement. John is going to speak about false teachers. When he gives this wonderful assurance, are you doubting your salvation? Well, look at your life. Look at the work of God in you. He's trying to assure us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. But he also does not want us to become so introspective that we think that we're not a Christian just because we haven't perfected our walk. And that's why he pauses and he gives us the encouragement that we need. Mind you, as soon as he's done with that, he will continue his cyclical argument and tell you the same thing over and over and over again. So this is really important. And what I'd like to highlight is this. What John gives us is gospel doctrine. He states what is true about you and true about me because we are in Christ. He does not give you an emotional high. He doesn't get you all pumped up and excited only for that to just fall flat the next day. He gives you truth. Remember we said that John addresses the same topics as Paul does, but in a completely different way. It's the personality of the biblical authors. When you look at Paul's prayers, when you look at the apostolic prayers in the New Testament, you will find a theme that is reoccurring, particularly with Paul. Paul will pray that we will truly understand what is already true about us. He doesn't take us or point us to some new experience or something that we've never seen before. He consistently prays that you and I fully grasp basic gospel truths that are true about every single Christian without exception, bar none. So this is what John is about this morning. Now, one comment before we read. Notice that Paul, that John, excuse me, addresses three different groups of people. It's very intriguing. He addresses what he will call little children. He addresses fathers. And he'll address young men. Now, let me tell you something. There's not a whole lot of consensus as to what he's really driving at when he uses those terms. So more on that later. But pay attention to that as we walk through the text, which is 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It is an abrupt 
departure from what he was just speaking to. Six times over, he will make, he will write, he will use the phrase, I'm writing to you or I've written to you. He wants you to know I'm writing to you that you would get it, that you would grasp this. All right, enough of Colin. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Oh, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. So let's talk just a moment about these designations. Little children... Young men, fathers. Some will look at this and say, well, these are stages of maturity. That is kind of like the stages of life. You got little ones, you got old ones. He's talking about different stages of the Christian life or different stages of maturity. That's possible, but there's a few problems with that. First of all, the phrase little children is a phrase that he will use all throughout this epistle. Speaking of believers. So you want to be careful that you don't isolate one usage of it and say, well, here's what this means. Secondly, it's a bit of an odd development because he says, children, fathers, young men. So now you can see why... You know, the smart theologians are kind of all over the map on this one. I'd like to make a simple suggestion. I think that absolutely everything that he shares with us this morning is applicable to every single believer. It might be when he, when he, go, when he shifts over to young men and fathers that he's speaking about a different stage of maturity. I think that's very plausible. I can't guarantee that. And I'm not going to tell you forcefully one way or another. But I would say this. Pay more attention to what he says in each, to, to each of these groups than trying to figure out who these groups actually represent. That's the key. So there are three truth groups. Now, I want to emphasize this. When John gives us gospel encouragement, please note what John does. John gives us biblical doctrine that you can find elsewhere in scripture. His way of strengthening and encouraging and helping us and giving us a sure foundation is to know what is true about us. Remember what Paul did in Romans? I mean, the Mount Everest of the New Testament, 11 chapters of doctrine, salvation by faith, all those things. And what does he say in chapter 12? That hinge. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, 
Transform your minds. Do not be like the world. Do not think like the world thinks. You are a new creation. Let your mind, your thinking be transformed. That's the key. And that's exactly what John is angling at this morning. Let your mind think about and rest upon that which is true about you by the grace of God given in the gospel. So, truth number one. Well, I should say truth group number one. Addressed to little children. Remember, little children are addressed all throughout this epistle as a means of speaking to Christians. The first thing he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, many of you are saying, well, I already know that. That's the first thing we learn. But do you really believe it? Do you really know it? Do you know it here? And do you know it here? Notice how John goes right to a very elementary truth about the gospel. Forgiveness of sins is intrinsically tied to the proclamation of the gospel. Luke 24. Jesus said, you know, preaching, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Right? It's tied together. It's all about the gospel. That's what we see in the gospel. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. But answer me this. Do we not often live as if that's not completely true? We carry the weight of guilt. We live a life in which we may not articulate it, but we are constantly weighed down because we're fully aware that last week we did not perform the way we had wanted to. And we'll give lip service to we're forgiven, and we believe it to some degree. But it's so easy, is it not, to be reminded of our Past, like past, past, it's so easy to be reminded of our failures this morning. John says, listen, friend, you have been forgiven. It is done. It is not up for grabs. It is not up for, you're not on probation, right? It's not, well... You're forgiven if, no, you are forgiven. Imagine, in knowing this, really knowing it, being mindful of it, every moment of every day, imagine the freedom that we feel in our hearts, that God fully accepts me and he has forgiven me. My past is done. You know the old saying, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Think of the boldness that comes from this. 
when believers believe it fully that I'm forgiven. The courage in speaking truth, I am forgiven. And the assurance that wells up within us when we reflect upon and meditate upon and remember this basic gospel truth. I'm forgiven. We've mentioned Paul. Look at how Paul expresses this to the Colossians. I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We'll flash it up, but I would like you to see it in your own Bible as well. Also gives me a chance to take a quick swig. Colossians chapter 2. Pay attention to the punctuating statements that Paul makes about believers, about forgiveness. You who were spiritually dead because of your sins, that is the fact that you were outside the law, God has now made to share in the very life of Christ. I should mention, I'm reading to you from the J.B. Phillips translation. He has forgiven you all of your sins. Do you believe it? Or do you live with a constant reminder of your failures in the past? Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. And then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, empty, and defeated in his final glorious, triumphant act. And I apologize, that's not the ESV, that is the J.B. Phillips translation. He kind of brings it out. That's forgiveness. So John immediately says, you need to know as you are seeking to love your neighbor, who's not easy to love, you've been forgiven. Because God has forgiven you, you can indeed forgive other people. The theme of forgiveness flows all throughout the Old Testament as well. Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's the Old Testament. Imagine the blaze of the New Testament. How clearly it is given to us. Now his first truth set continues he also says you 
know the Father. This set given to little children. You know the Father. Don't let that simple statement elude you. Don't let it just skate on by and say, well, we, we know that. We already know that. Guys, you know him. The one who is thrice holy, the one who is just, the one who is glorious, the one, if you lay eyes on him, you will die immediately because he is so glorious. You know him. You Know him. Look at what Jesus said. This is called the high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17. Notice how he describes eternal life. He says this is eternal life. That they know you. The only True God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is a working definition of what it means to be born again, to be a Christian. You know him. There's no more separation. There's no more, I can't go there. But I am fully accepted. I am forgiven. By God. And I know him. Do you remember that passage we've looked at? Jeremiah chapter 31. Verses 31 to 34. It's this little glimpse of the new covenant. He makes these remarkable statements. I will remember their sins no more. That's what John just said. You're forgiven. And he also says. The least of them. To the greatest of them will know me. Listen. That's, that's reason to celebrate. When you get down because you're not where you would like to be. Where you are more in tune with your failures than what God is doing in your life in and through you. Remember the gospel truth. And it does not diverge from the message of the entire Bible. Like I said, Jeremiah 31. That's how he describes this new covenant. You'll be forgiven and you will know me. John says, guys, this is true about you. Uh, Hang on. You know what? I skipped a section. So he does indeed say that. But now let's go to truth set number two. This is to fathers. I think it's, it's probably be meant to be taken to those who are perhaps a little further on in their walk with the Lord. But I also think it's applicable to everyone, really. What does he say to the fathers? Well, he says the same thing that he just said. You know him who is from the beginning. And you know what? 
That's enough. It's sufficient. You know him. And you're known by him. And you're fully accepted. You are beautifully loved. That's the core of the gospel. Do not stray from that. Do not go chasing after some, this is, remember the Gnostics, right? Some higher knowledge, some secret knowledge, something that, that nobody else knows about. Settle your mind, your thinking, your heart on the simple truths of the gospel. Because the simple truths of the gospel, you'll never get over them. You will never, ever dig down and say, well, I've learned all what it means to know God. He says, you stay there. You you, you set yourself on the truth of the gospel and live accordingly. Repetition is indeed the, father, the mother of all learning. So let's skip over to truth set number three. He goes, little children, young men. I'm sorry, fathers. Wait, young men. It is a holiday weekend. Notice what he says now. Perhaps the young men, there's like a vitality. You're in the fight. You're, you're actively engaged. You're living a Christian life out. You've got a foundation underneath you, but you've got to, you're living this out on a daily basis. He says, number one, you're an overcomer. You are an overcomer. You have overcome the evil one on the basis of your union with Christ who has defeated Satan and you are in Christ. Question. Did you wake up this morning feeling like an overcomer? Do you feel that on a regular basis? See, what John is doing is the same thing that Paul does. Adjust your feelings to match what you think, what you know is true about yourself. Because if you live by your feelings, oh, just picture a storm at sea, and that's you. Don't go by your emotions or your feelings. Go by what is specifically said to be true about you. Secondly, he says, you're strong. Well, that's interesting because I sure didn't feel strong this past week. In fact, I felt pretty weak. And John says, listen, you got to remember. Are you in Christ or are you not? So again, going to the other apostle, what does Paul say? Remember spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6? The most extensive treatment of spiritual warfare in all of Scripture. Loaded with doctrine and truth. How does he start it? Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, we have a tendency, I mean, we're human, we, we tend to, 
to get distracted. We tend to do things in our own strength. And the scripture always calls us to rejoice in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord. That's where our strength is. And so even in the Old Testament, remember when they rediscovered God's word? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Funny. Watch what he does next. He says, the word of God is in you. Do you see how he ties all of this together? He brings us right back to the word of God. He brings us back to the truth of God. Jesus said, your word is truth. We dare not drift from God's word. An interesting study in history. Look at all the excuses and the reasons that people will give to not believe the word of God. It's remarkable. Yeah, I know. But. Remember what our adversary does? His plan literally has not changed since the dawn of history. Yea, has God said. Did he really say that? I know he said don't eat. But you know, look, it's a garden. Have what you want. I know I mean, just name the sin. I know that he said this, but, but really, I mean, we've learned a lot. We've come a long way. We can now safely say that God was wrong on that one. No. In every way, we stand on the word of God. Because as my pastor would always say. God did not write with a pencil. He wrote with a pen. He didn't write so he could erase it. And say sorry. Glad you guys have informed me about that one. Now we're going to change this to say that. That's not the Lord. The word is in you. We are to know the word. To live by the word. To believe it, to memorize it, to study it, to unearth its riches. Pastors and theologians will use this word exegete. It means like to excavate. You go to the text, right? What's that little kid's toy? Um, Bob the Builder, right? He's got all these little machines there to dig in. You go to the word and you dig out. There's rich truth. Proverbs says, you are wise if you do that. Because God's word will yield such beautiful truth. I'll never forget as a teen, sitting down with my grandfather at the time who was in his 80s. Missionary in Africa and France, England, pastor, all those things. And he just said casually. He couldn't even get up. He, I mean, he was so frail. He's like, I'm still learning things every day. That made an impression on 17-year-old Colin. That the guy who swam in alligator-infested waters, who had a python, fall on my mom. Thank goodness they had the mosquito nets while she was in the little crib. He said, I'm still learning. 
And I thought to myself right then, that's when I really began to grow as a Christian, as I became a young adult. I said, I want to be like that. Who on earth wants to be a stagnant Christian? Stuck where you've been the last five, ten years. You don't want to do that. Just keep on moving forward. Look at Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. You might remember this passage. He says, after I leave, like count to three, and the ravenous wolves will already be there. Right? They'll already be there leading people astray. They'll even come up from within your midst. Teaching what is not true, which will have disastrous effects in the lives of people. But you know what Paul did when he gives his final commendation to the leaders of the Ephesian church? Notice his parting words, verse 32. And now I commend you to the latest teacher that, no, he doesn't say that. I commend you to God himself. I commend you to the living God and to the word of his Isn't that beautiful? Do you see the simplicity that is the Christian life? Go deep in God's truth. But don't look elsewhere to the flashiest preacher or to the latest fad or this or that. He says, I commend you to the word of grace. How significant is that? Grace is what we need. It's what we need to live by. And he says, God's word, when you properly understand it, will always point you to the grace of God. It will always point you to who you are in Christ and how great God is and how you are in Christ. And so therefore, you are an overcomer because he's already overcome and you're in him. Always. That's his simple commendation. I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Do you see what John is doing? Nothing flashy. Not the latest and greatest. He's taking you back to what is absolutely true about you. Because you are in Christ. And so he answers the question, well, which maybe you haven't asked, but you should ask, well, how do I live this life of love? How do I actually forgive other people? How do I live righteously when there's sin and temptation all around me? He says, yes, there's the life of God in you. We understand that. But here's the encouragement you can have in fleshing this out. Yes, you actually can do it. I leave you with some questions to ponder. Number one, we just spoke about God's word. How am I engaging God's word? Am I too busy? 
too distracted, disinterested. I don't know who to attribute it to. Probably some old Sunday school teacher from years ago. Either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Do not neglect the Word of God. I encourage you to be in it. Be in it deeply. Paul said to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number two, am I believing our adversaries' lives or am I standing on the truth? Again, when you read the New Testament, the apostles are always pointing us for our own good to the truths of the gospel. Because that's what we need to thrive. Third, am I weak or am I strong? I know what it feels to feel weak. I know what it's like to feel so unqualified to do whatever you're doing. I think I've shared with you 15 years ago. When things were moving for me to become the pastor of Durwood Bible Church, I was taking a class down in seminary. It was a week-long class. And my hands were shaking. Because I was thinking to myself, my goodness, what am I getting into? Some old godly saint in that class, gray hair, sat down next to me in a break and said, what is on your mind? I said, well, what are you asking? He's like, well, your hand is going like this the entire time. He prayed with me, imparted such a peace. That was Wednesday. I never saw him again. Saints, God is going to call you and invite you to serve him in ways that you would never think possible. Take a cue from virtually every figure in the Old and New Testament and know this. What God has called you to, he will enable you. You find your strength in the Lord. You find your confidence in who he is. And you rest in that. And you believe it. I want to close with just a few thoughts. One pastor kind of listed out a number of truths about spiritual growth, about maturity. This is really what John is talking about. It's like maturing in our faith. I want to remind you of some principles which are true about us as we walk with the Lord and as we grow in him. First of all, when, Paul, when John talks about fleshing out your faith, how you do that is important does not determine your standing with God. That's what John just told us. If you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. And you are to grow, you are to walk with the Spirit, you are to be obedient to Him, you are to be attentive to Him, but we don't always flesh that out perfectly. In fact, I don't know of anyone who has done it perfectly. That's not your standing with God. That's your maturity in Christ. You are not loved more or less 
when you look at your performance. When you fail, God does not love you less. His love is unconditional. And it's constant. Each of us will grow in different ways. Each of us, we all have a family of origin. We all have past trauma. We all have a mindset. All kinds of different things that we've got to work through. Keep that in mind. So we're not all going to grow at the same pace. If you see a brother or sister slipping, come alongside her. Support her. Encourage her. Speak truth to her. Christian maturity is not solely based upon knowledge. How many teachers do we know who even know the Greek whose lives are out of whack? Knowledge is good. We are to grow in the knowledge of him. But head knowledge alone isn't it. What we put up here needs to settle here and to be put into action. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. My sincere hope and desire is that we would be super encouraged with our good standing in Christ. His unconditional love for us. That we would remember that which is true about us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Full and complete confidence in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Plus nothing. Oh, Father, as we start a new week, we pray that we would fix our hearts and our minds squarely on you. That we would remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. We pray that we would be encouraged and uplifted. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.